The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42 and 44. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please um, bless me with um, the ability to speak truthfully about your holy word and to bring your truths home to our hearts as we meditate on them this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So with this parable that Jesus tells of the wicked tenants, Jesus is describing in real time the kind of cosmic perspective of what is happening right there and then. Remember that this gospel lesson, like last week's, comes um, just four days before Good Friday, before Jesus is about to be killed. The rejection of Jesus uh, by the vast majority of the chief priests uh, and the Pharisees was, in their eyes, the um, the prudent censuring of a dangerous prophet. But with this parable, Jesus is giving them a warning to say, that's not it. You're misunderstanding radically what is happening in your midst, what's happening right before your eyes. Um, And he tells a parable that it would be hard to miss the one-to-one correspondences of. You know, it says, the next verse beyond the gospel reading says, and the Pharisees perceived he was talking about them. And it's like, he made it pretty clear. And something our lectionary has helped us see that when speaking about a vineyard, as we saw in in, um, Isaiah 5 and in the Psalm, the vineyard is Israel. This is a parable of Israel. The master, of course, is God. The vineyard is Israel. The tenants, in this case, signify the chief priests and the Pharisees, whom Jesus is talking to. And then the son of the master, you'd have to be pretty thick-headed in this moment of hearing the parable to not realize he's talking about himself. Jesus, the son of God, whom they take out of Jerusalem, out of the vineyard, uh, and kill him by the hands of the Romans. And whereas the chief priests and the elders think that they will therefore get to keep their spiritual fiefdom, right, to continue in the way that they've been doing by getting rid of Jesus, Jesus is alerting them to the reality um, that the opposite is the case. They have rejected him. They've rejected his teaching. They've called it untrue. They've rejected his miracles, said that the power was done by demons. And they've rejected him as a person, which culminates in his execution. Jesus, therefore, is the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus ties, that's a quotation from Psalm 118. He's the builders, tenants, same role. Jesus is here um, giving a specific instance of what he would then later tell the disciples after the resurrection. The Psalms are speaking about him. Here it is hidden in Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected, just as Jesus has been rejected, becomes the cornerstone. The Jewish leaders thought that they were getting rid of Jesus by killing him. And using the imagery of, um, of construction, the stone, they were like, eh, no, we don't, we don't want this one. They throw it on the discard pile. That stone would be picked up off of the discard pile, out of the very grip of death, and placed as the cornerstone of a whole new building. Jesus is speaking, of course, of his resurrection and the founding of the church. The church is the real, reconstituted people of God. That's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God, he says to the chief priests and the elder and the Pharisees, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you 
and given to a people producing its fruits. So whereas under the old covenant, once the people of God were ministered to by hard-hearted men enforcing the law, the chief reason that the, the wicked tenants that Jesus is describing, now the people of God are ministered to by fellow ransom sinners whose job it is to minister grace and the gospel of grace and the sacraments in his name. Once the people of God were marked according to the flesh, you could tell who was a Jew by circumcision. Now the people of God are marked according to the Spirit by the waters of baptism that in a mystic prophecy of Ezekiel is described like the angels painting the mark of the cross on those who are his elect and made manifest in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Once to be among the chosen meant to be a blood descendant of Abraham. Now to be among the chosen means to have belief and trust in Jesus Christ. So to be very clear, um, the descendants of Abraham, Jews today, still have many blessings given to them by God that have not been taken away. As St. Paul lists them in the letter to the Romans in two places. Theirs are the law, the covenants, the patriarchs, the oracles of God, the scriptures. But since Christ has died and has risen, since the, corner, the stone has been picked up off the rubble pile and placed as the cornerstone, those who are blood descendants of Abraham are no longer the people of God. The church is the people of God. The church, which is made up of people with Jewish blood, non-Jewish blood, doesn't matter anymore because the cardinal thing that distinguishes us is no longer our blood, but the fact that we've been forgiven by the only one who can forgive sins, God himself, God the Son. The church is the people of God. We have been united. We who have been united to Christ are also being made like the cornerstone. This is a metaphor that Peter, who, who heard Jesus <clears throat> say this to the, to the chief priests and the elders, the Holy Spirit would inspire him to pick up and develop the metaphor in his first letter. You yourselves, Christians, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Isn't that a great tie into the picture? Christ the cornerstone, you the living stones. One of several metaphors we get in the scriptures, right, for how we relate to Christ. As a bride to the bridegroom, as a body to the head, and as stones to the cornerstone, which is the teaching Jesus is giving here out of Psalm 118. Christ has started a new building anchored on himself. Um, and I was digging around a little bit in um, architectural dictionaries, <laughs> having never laid a cornerstone myself, just to see how they're described. And I came across a description that if you hear it in a theological key, is really beautiful. A description of a cornerstone. All other stones will be set in reference to this stone. Isn't that good theology from a dictionary? All other stones will be set in reference to this stone. The cornerstone ties the whole building together just as Christ ties us together. So call number one is just to be united to him. Having been united in the past by baptism, we remain united in the present by faith. And in that process, we are being made like him inasmuch as we are to be by the Holy Spirit, by the very hands of God himself, being built up as a temple in which true worship is offered to God the Father by God the Spirit. 
I couldn't help but think of the doxology to our Eucharistic prayer every Sunday. By him, and with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. That's the project that God is un- underway. And it's likened, I think, by Jesus. This is not my best interpretation of that cryptic verse at the very end of the passage where it says, if you trip on the stone, it'll break you, and if it falls on you, you'll get crushed. The King James, actually, I think, rightly catches the Greek even a bit more strongly when it says, crushed to powder. Crushed to powder. I think the way to unpack the scripture verse is to actually just keep extending this metaphor of the cornerstone. I think Jesus is describing a construction site. That just as construction sites are fenced off and um, measures are taken so that there's safety, so that people aren't walking on it, because a construction site is kind of dangerous. A construction is still in progress. The church, similarly, does not yet look like what it will fully be, as we just sung. In the hymn, the church is one foundation. I think this unlocks that cryptic verse. The one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Imagine a construction site where the wall just started with a cornerstone. Right? If you trip on it, you're going to break an ankle. Just so, all those who intellectually stumble over Jesus, and the stumbling block is his presented lowliness. Right? That he doesn't present himself yet. He will at his second coming. But for now, as um, the God whose voice strips the cedars bare, Psalm 29, he presents himself so lowly, who looks like just a man. If we stumble intellectually over his lowliness, with which he clothed himself in his mortal ministry, with which he still clothes himself in the church, We don't look like this resplendent temple of the living God. We look like pretty ordinary human beings stumbling along day to day. And in the sacraments, similarly, it doesn't look like the resurrected, glorified body of Christ spiritually nourishing the souls of his eternal people. It looks kind of like bread and wine. He's still clothing himself in lowliness, and this is an intellectual stumbling block to many, then and now. But to fail to recognize Christ, to fail to believe in him, is to trip and break bones intellectually and spiritually. To be unable to get around because of how crippling it is. There is no robust intellectual life apart from being built on Christ the cornerstone. There's absolutely no spiritual life apart from being built on Christ the cornerstone. It's like walking around with broken bones. And then ultimately, it's sort of a twofold picture, tripping and breaking bones, and then having, um, being crushed to powder. If anyone who continues only to fall on the stone, or alternately, abandons God's construction project and tries to make our own, like I'm going to build some religion over here of whatever kind, even of just our own making, of I'm going to establish my own righteousness, and I, you know, I'm just going to live for this, that, or the other, apart from Christ Jesus. Jesus says the stone will fall which initially seems like a mixed metaphor, right? Think about a cornerstone of a big old building, like some massive stone. When does that fall on you, right? That's laid at the bottom. It's not over your head. Well, it would only fall on you if an entire structure which had a cornerstone was coming down from heaven, which I think is exactly the picture Jesus is giving us. As we would have later unpacked in the revelation that Jesus gives to John, Revelation 21.2, it's a familiar verse. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, Doing what? Coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So Jesus is telescoping us to a picture of the last day. When does the cornerstone come actually in a cr- with a crushing? Judgment day. The great judgment day when Christ returns, that's when the new Jerusalem is established forever and it will crush to powder those who are not a part of the building, those who have not come to Christ by faith, those who are not saved by him. Jesus is giving us an apocalyptic image of his temple. A temple that's made up of individual bricks, not anonymous bricks, but those of us who by his grace will have had our lowly bodies transformed to be like his glorious body and will be united with him with such a permanence that it will last forever, forever and ever. A permanent temple to the living God in which finally he will be worshipped um, as he's worthy of being worshipped, together with all the angels, unto eternity. All glory to the founder and perfecter of our faith, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Amen.